Good morning. It is September 8th. It's another hot morning in New York City. The ever-extending heat advisory has not been extended today and is still set to expire at 6 p.m. And this is your Indignity Morning Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Skoka, taking a look at the day and the news. I'm going to start inside the Times today on page A13 with a little headline on a little story. The headline is, District can't notify parents if their child is transgender. The lead to the story says, a Superior Court judge on Wednesday temporarily blocked a Southern California school district from notifying parents if their child seeks to change pronouns or gender identity. The Times has, of course, been really mad at me and other people who have suggested that the paper's coverage of trans matters has betrayed an institutional bias against trans people. So now here's the story. District can't notify parents if their child is transgender. If you read past the top, it's chopped up into little subheadings, like something recycled from the web, which it may be. What actually happened was that a judge blocked a rule requiring schools to report to parents. If a child, the story says, asks to use a name or pronoun that does not align with the child's birth certificate, or seeks to use a bathroom assigned to a different gender. So somehow, the everyday operating machinery of the times, not some diktat from above, not some official commitment to bigotry, like when they wouldn't put the word gay in the newspaper back in the bad old days, has chosen to treat a newly imposed mandatory outing measure, part of the national campaign of harassment and discrimination against transgender people, especially young ones, as some imposition on the natural rights of parents. A judge saying schools can't be forced to always report children's gender preferences to their parents becomes, in the Times recounting, a judge forcing schools to keep such things secret. The entire valence of the situation is completely reversed. Again, this is an itty-bitty news story. This isn't some deliberate scheme. So what was it that made the paper get the news writing wrong? Moving on to page one. Ukraine insists cluster arsenal keeps it in fight, but civilians at risk, says the subhead. The lead of the story describes a cluster bomb attack driving off Russian troops in Ukraine. The story then cops to the fact that this successful military tactic happens to be a crime against humanity. In the second most spectacularly disembodied piece of news writing I found in the Times today, the story says the use of cluster bombs points to a grim trade-off in the 18-month conflict. By embracing cluster munitions to keep this summer's counteroffensive moving forward, Ukraine and the United States have opened themselves to human rights concerns about their long-term threat to civilians who inadvertently trigger unexploded bombs. They haven't opened themselves to human rights concerns. They have, that is, we have, systematically violated human rights. We're indiscriminately strewing explosives where they're going to kill people who are non-combatants. Because that's what cluster bombs do. That's what cluster bombs are. Down below that is an odd story. For Mattel, success of Barbie goes far beyond the big screen. Which the reader might guess, I certainly did, would be about the fact that despite Greta Gerwig's uncompromising commitment to artistry, the Barbie movie is selling a lot of Barbies. In fact, though, it's not about what happened beyond the big screen. It's just about the fact that the Barbie movie's a hit and offers the umpteenth retelling of the now very familiar story from the preview stories and from the initial box office stories of how Mattel came to make a blockbuster movie after years of failing to get it off the ground. How Mattel pulled off a feat that had eluded the company for years, the Times writes, was the subject of recent interviews with Mr. Kreitz, that's company CEO Inan Kreitz, 
Robbie Brenner, Mattel's executive producer of films, spokespeople for Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig, the film's star and its writer-director, and others familiar with the doll's sometimes tortuous path to the big screen. Third of all, the Times could only get spokespeople for Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig? Second of all, it seems like Margot Robbie could also have been identified there by her role as the movie's producer. But first of all, as promised, here is the most bizarrely dissociated piece of news writing I encountered in today's Times. Was the subject of recent interviews? What is that? What are you doing? Why are you even talking about the news gathering process while absenting yourself from the news gathering process? Just write the dang story. You can introduce your sources when they talk. And elsewhere on the front page, the Times continues its series on water problems with a look at the situation in Thornton, Colorado, where the Times describes how in 1985 the city manager encountered a problem. The population was booming, the Times writes. Businesses were flocking to the Mountain West, and Thornton had no major lakes or rivers of its own, nor any meaningful amount of groundwater to drop on, a fluke of geology and geography. The city had drilled a dozen or so wells over the years, but the groundwater's limited supply and high mineral content meant it wasn't fit for drinking. The rest of the article is about Thornton's long-running struggle after buying the water rights to 17,000 acres of farmland 60 miles away to get that water to the people who live in the city. Property-wise, it's their water, but it's been very hard to get. All those problems, however, are downstream, if you will, of the actual problem, which is they should never have built the place. If you don't have water, you don't have a place people can live. Stop building sprawl in the dang desert. Your whole town exists on false pretenses. Shut it down and go live where nature is not explicitly telling you you're not supposed to live. In other news about humanity's harmonious relationship with our planet, too late to make it into the paper edition, Southern China and Hong Kong were inundated by the remains of Typhoon Haikwe. Nearly eight inches of rain fell overnight in Shenzhen, the Times reports, the most intense downpour since records began in 1952. And at one spot in Hong Kong, they measured six inches of rain in an hour. Meanwhile, in the paper paper, the flooding continues in Greece and Turkey. That's the news. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going. Try not to get caught in any thunderstorms over the weekend. And we will talk again on Monday.